This podcast contains adult language and explicit content. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Grant. And I'm Erica. And this is From From Crime Crime to to Crime. Crime. Man, I dig our new song, but I think we might need some lyrics. I think maybe I should write some lyrics for for our song. What do you think? <laughs> lyrics? No. No? But I really hate when you come up with ideas and then you make me like have to shoot you down. What about what about for a fan base nickname? What about Crime Travelers? How do you feel about that? Um I was going to start this episode so nice to you. And you're going to continue because it, that's a great name. No, then you come up with shit like this, and it's like, how do you want me to respond to that, dude? Does your opinion change if I tell you it was a listener suggestion? <sighs> Not really. <laughs> Ooh, okay. Sorry, Andrea. I, just... I tried. <laughs> was that really Andrea? Yeah, she she had a good idea, and so I said, hey, you know what? I'm going to throw it out there, see how it goes. But we got Erica's honest opinion, and I think it has something more to do with it coming from me. I think that's what our- I feel like it does. I feel like I, it does. I do too. So- Because I feel like if Andrea would have told me that, I would have been like, well, maybe. Well, and I think that you paused so long that I think you were thinking it over like, oh man, I actually don't hate it. What a uh, I, what a turn I of events. I did pause a long time because I was like- Ugh. It's not bad. Yeah. But what did you decide? That you only hated it because it, you thought I came up with it. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> we'll see. Anyways- are you going to tell people welcome back? Because that threw me off that you didn't start this episode with welcome back. Welcome back to From Crime to Crime. Thank you. Just like that? <laughs> yeah, it like gets me in the in the zone. Well, I'm taking you to the danger zone tonight, I guess. Ew, that's gross. Highway okay. to the danger zone. See? Already come up with lyrics. That was off the top of my head. I okay. just came up with that. Yeah, okay. I wrote that. <laughs> well, I'm glad you got all your goofiness out now because tonight's episode's pretty sad. Yeah, it is pretty sad. Obviously, it involves kids and stuff, and so th- that does make it yeah. sad. But it's also one of like true crime's most well-known cases. Yeah, but it's infuriating. Totally. Absolutely infuriating. So we're going to be talking about Jacob Wetterling, obviously, because you clicked on this. You know the name. Yeah. I mean, because it's on the title. Well, yeah. You know what I'm yeah. I mean, I knew the name too, <laughs> but I'd already clicked yeah. on the name. So this story is going to start on October 22nd, 1989, which was a Sunday. And it was a pretty sweet day for the Wetterlings, I feel like. Jerry Wetterling took his boys out fishing that morning And then they were at home and they watched the Vikings beat the Lions 20 to 7, which is fantastic. And didn't the Vikings beat the Lions this past Sunday as well? They did. Well then. A little bit closer of a margin, but they still beat them. Hey, a win's a win. It is. So that's starting out to be a pretty sweet day, I think. Yeah, it was. And Jacob, his brother Trevor, and their friend Aaron... They were just kind of hanging out at the Wetterling house. Their parents were at a dinner party. Their younger sister, Carmen, who was only eight at the time, was there with them. And it was just a regular Sunday night. But the boys didn't have school the next day, so Aaron got actually got to sleep over, which I think you know all of them were pretty excited about. And the boys wanted to have a really fun night. They wanted to ride their bikes and scooter to the Tom Thumb store to, to rent a movie. And I love that it's called Tom Thumb, by the way. Like, 
I looked this up. <laughs> I think it's such a cool name, and it's like a convenience store, really. It, and they happen to sell or rent movies as well, so it's just kind of all encompassing. But just the name of it sounds so Minnesota. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just Tom Thumb. Like, oh, um, going to the Tom Thumb. Tom Thumb for mayor. Yep. The boys called their parents, and they were at a dinner party, but they asked for their permission so they could go, and they'd never really ridden that far before. And especially at night. So from their house at Tom Thumb, it was not very long. It was really only like 15 minutes or so, but it was starting to get pretty dark. And these guys lived out in a very rural, cornfieldy area. And yeah. when they called, their mom, Patty, said, nope, not going to happen. Yeah. So Trevor did a very 1989 thing and said, let me talk to dad about this. And, <laughs> and so Jerry got on the phone and, you know, as dads do, he was like, yeah, it sounds fine. Go for it. Which, you know, looking back. Jerry a- was more worried about it being dark on the drive, like the having to take the dirt road through the cornfields into town. He was more worried about the dark. Right. Because they had never done it before either. So right. that was the more of the concern was that it was dark and they had never done it. But the boys promised that they'd bring a flashlight and Jacob would even wear a reflective vest, which I think is super cool. And they called their 14-year-old neighbor, Rochelle, to come over and watch Carmen while they were gone because they didn't want to bring her with. Yeah. So they were, like, pretty responsible. They're like, we'll take flashlights. They got a babysitter for their sister. Like, Yeah, they thought of everything. Yeah, they were doing the right thing. But they also asked Rochelle to call the Tom Thumb and, like, pretend to be their parent and say it was okay for them to rent an R-rated movie. Yeah, she's only 14, so yeah. <laughs> it's so, pretty funny. But they're 11, yeah. so they're like, ah, this is good enough. Yeah, they're like, you're old. and But she said no. <laughs> she's like, uh, no. <laughs> so they left to go to the Tom Thumb, and they made it there, no problem, and they rented the naked gun since Rochelle was being a fun sponge and wouldn't call and get them to rent the R-rated movie. And so the boys got their movie and they rode their bikes home. And on their way home, they saw a silhouette of a man in dark clothing with a dark covered face come out of a gravel driveway. And he was standing in the dirt road and the man stopped the boys and told them that he had a gun and he forced them into a ditch on the side of the road. And he asked Trevor how old he was and Trevor said 10. And the man told Trevor to run into the woods and never look back or he would shoot. And then the man turned to Aaron and asked Aaron how old he was. Aaron said 11, and the man grabbed Aaron's crotch, and then he asked Jacob the same thing. And when Jacob also said 11, the man told Aaron to run as fast as he could into the woods or he would shoot Aaron. So Aaron took off and he ran, and when he looked back, he couldn't see Jacob or the man. They were both gone. What an awful experience. I mean, both boys, like, they're so young, and what are they going to do? You know, I'm sure they still feel absolutely awful, but... What are they going to do? But run. I mean, yeah. Trevor and Aaron, they ran straight home. And luckily they went and told Rochelle what happened. And Rochelle went into quick thinking and she called her dad, which was the neighbor. And her dad, Merle, called the Wetterlings at their party. And he asked to speak to Jerry. He did not want to talk to Patty, which I can completely jive with. Like, I would not want to tell a mom what I was about to tell her. But he told Jerry that you and Patty have to come straight home right now. Aaron and Trevor had come back from the store, but Jacob hadn't. So Merle called 911, and when he did, Trevor actually spoke to 911 and told them about what was happening. Yeah. 
And the police and the neighborhood quickly went into high gear and they started searching for Jacob and, you know, all the cornfields and everywhere around. And then inexplicably, around 3 a.m., they just called off the initial search, which seems like a weird thing to do. Yeah, I got a real problem with that. Yeah, if you haven't found the kid, um, sorry, you're not going home. And... Okay, it's 3 a.m. It's going to be light before too long. Like, why would you send everybody home to hopefully come back? That doesn't make sense to me either because it's like, just keep searching and then all of a sudden the sun's going to come out and you might find more evidence. Exactly. And though they made that what I consider a really bad mistake, they actually made a good choice because by Monday morning they had called in the FBI and other agencies to join in in the investigation and seems like. These police officers probably realized they're a bit in over their head and they got a ton of tips and leads from this and they found tire and shoe tracks and they thought, hey, these might be important. And so officers and volunteers conducted aerial searches with helicopters and ground searches. Stearns County Sheriff Charlie Graft says that there was just a lack of evidence, even though you had two boys who were telling you what was happening. But yeah, the Wetterlings and their friends and their families, they They're trying to seek as much publicity as possible because that's what you have to do in these situations. You have to get the word out. Right. And in this small town in Minnesota, this was not normal. Like, this isn't something that happened all the time. So the word spread pretty quickly because stuff like this doesn't happen there. So by Tuesday, the FBI brought in a profiler and he said that the abductor was likely a white loner with a physical deformity who committed a similar crime in his past. It's very precise. Well, profiles usually are. But like a white loner with a physical deformity, like why did they include physical deformity? Did you do you know? No, I don't know. Interesting that that would be what they would look for, but Yeah. But they got a lot of leads based on this. They got hundreds of calls. Yeah, they did, and that's kind of how the word really started to spread and by Wednesday, October 25th, A prayer vigil was even held in St. Joseph, where over 500 people attended. And Sheriff Graff says that investigators were sure that the abduction involves a sex offender. And they think the abductor likely left the area. And he even starts suggesting that Jacob could already be dead, which... Which, of course, this happens on Sunday. So by Wednesday, we know that. You don't need to say it out loud. Yeah, exactly. Like, give the family a little hope. Yeah, like the statistics are there. We know the statistics. You don't need to tell us. We get it. Hold on to that hope. Like, do that for us. Just hold on, please. Yeah. And to say that it was likely involved a sex offender, it's like, well, obviously. I mean. Yeah, not taking him to Disneyland. Well, Andy asked the boys their ages and he grabbed Aaron's crotch. Like, duh. We don't need to be reminded of what could possibly be going on here. Like. Like you said, we need hope. We don't need you to be pessimistic here, dude. I know. And what a weird thing to do, too. Like, he just, he picked these little boys off of, like, what they looked like. You know, like, yeah, what his this... preference was. <sighs> it, it's it's bad. Yeah. So by Thursday, Minneapolis and St. Paul business leaders offer a $100,000 reward for Jacob's safe return. And deputies are searching on horseback. The FBI assigns 20 agents to the case. The governor of Minnesota meets with the National Guard, state officials, the sheriff, and the Wetterling family. And that Thursday night, October 26th, A Current Affair, which was a TV program in the 80s, broadcasted... I remember A Current Affair, but I don't remember any of their cases, but I remember A Current Affair being on. Yeah, they broadcasted a national report on the abduction. 
So this generated a lot more phone tips from all around the country, not just in Minnesota. Yeah, they're bringing in everybody, you know, because yeah. by the next day, by Friday, October 27th, Governor Perpich says he's going to activate the National Guard, the State Patrol, and the Department of Natural Resources to search a 700-square-mile radius for Jacobs. And, you know, the Wetterlings are still trying to get, you know, their faces out there to get this publicity. And so they appeared on CBS this morning which was a show in the morning on CBS. Yeah. It was, <laughs> I don't I know if anybody needed, needed clarification. Yeah. <laughs> but you clarified yours, so I figured I'd clarify mine. Yeah. So by early November, the FBI has to start debunking reports that Jacob's been found safe. Like there was rumors that he was found, which he wasn't. Yeah. So a foundation began a nationwide mailing campaign to notify hospitals and truck stops and things like that. Ultimately, over a million flyers were sent out around the country about Jacob's abduction. So they're getting the word out. They were, and they even had Minnesota Twins, baseball players, Viking football players, and other officials join at a public show where there was seven to 10,000 people, and they were showing their support for Jacob and the Wetterlings, and there were banners of support on display at, at the Vikings and Los Angeles Rams football game. They also said there was no significant progress in the investigation. So authorities give half of the investigation kind of the weekend off. Yeah, which is ridiculous. It's it's insane. It's insane that there's a little kid out missing on the loose and you're not doing everything you can. To yeah, find and they're him. like, like oh, this... just because there's not anything, there's no significant progress, then everybody gets the weekend off. It's like, excuse me. What? Yeah, I that, would be fuming. I would be absolutely living yeah. down there and just causing all kinds of havoc. Yeah, so after their weekend off, on Monday, authorities released the first sketch of a person of interest, I guess they would call him. Um, it's a man that was seen at the Tom Thumb convenience store the night of the abduction. And they say they tried other ways of finding the guy, but they couldn't figure out who he was. And they described him as kind of being mean to customers and they said he was white in his 50s, around 200 pounds, and had white hair. Did he have any physical deformities? No. I don't... It uh, doesn't say. Just checking. But we'll find out later this was not the guy anyway, so... Right. The Minnesota Timberwolves, in their first game ever, this was their inaugural basketball season, they donated proceeds from 5,400 tickets to the team's first home game to the search for Jacob Wetterling. So they're all the big... Sports are putting money into it. All the you know big places are are putting their money kind of all into this to really try to hope to find this kid. Yeah, which is pretty awesome to see like a whole state come together like that. And oh, absolutely. I mean, obviously, I don't remember it, but that sounds pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. So what isn't very cool is November 9th, 1989, the Wetterlings go and record an interview on the Geraldo Rivera show. Mistake number one. Yes. Don't get Geraldo involved. Now, this episode wouldn't air for another week or so, but they went to interview on November 9th and Geraldo was unsurprisingly awful to them. Call him what he it really is to say what you want to say. Oh, he, ugh. We've gone over this. Our official from Crime to Crime stance is that we all hate Geraldo Rivera. So. It's true. He's pretty awful. And this is one of the major reasons why. Because he does stuff like this to victims' families. He had them on because their case was big and blah, blah, blah. And he just like said the most vile, foul, kind of like the sheriff's like, oh, your kid's probably dead. It's like, hello, this is his mother. Shut up. Yeah. People like that think, oh, they want to hear like the hard questions. Like, that's not a hard question, man. 
We know how no. she's feeling. Like, show some kind of compassion and empathy. Don't be such a huge asshole. And he even asked her, like, what do you think when you think about stuff like that? And she's like, um, you mean all the I try stuff not you said to. at the beginning of the... Yeah, she's like, I try not to think about stuff like that, you dick. Yeah. Yeah, and I've we've heard interviews with her, and she even said that she was so angry and felt like he took such advantage of them, but she was told by a family member, like, hey, you better be nice because you might need him in the future, like, if we don't find Jacob and we need to go on his show again. So she sent him a thank you card after this interview. That broke my heart. I was like, fuck him. Yeah. <laughs> like A thank you card. That only encourages him to keep running around doing his bullshit. I know. I'm like, ugh. I can't anyway. wait. I know everybody talks about cancel culture and it sucks. I cannot wait until Geraldo Rivera gets canceled for some stupid shit he did. Because he's done a lot. I can't believe he's not canceled already. I mean, I guess his I shows have been canceled, but he still pops up, so... Somebody needs to shave his mustache and kick him out. I don't know why either. And people like act like he matters. And it's like he is an idiot. Every so anyway. turn, every time. Anyway, we could go on for how much we dislike yeah. Geraldo. We could do forever. a whole podcast on how much we hate Geraldo Rivera, which we've done before. So we're going to tone it down this time. <laughs> anyway, so November 12th of 89, police released two more sketches. And one is of a man her talking about the abduction in the Tom Thumb store two weeks after it happened. Which is ridiculous because I'm sure everybody in St. Joseph, Minnesota was talking about the abduction for months after it happened. Especially around the Tom Thumb area. Like, oh, you know, this is where that kid went missing from, even though it wasn't. But, you know, you hear that name and just kind of all gets connected. Exactly. The other is of a man suspected of trying to abduct a boy in Minneapolis suburb of New Brighton. Authorities said that the two matched the earlier sketch of the man lurking in the Tom Thumb convenience store and the same one of the night of Jacob's abduction. So this one got a lot of tips, too. Yeah. So at this point, we're like, what, two weeks after the abduction? And they've already released three sketches, three different sketches. Doesn't that one on the right look like uh, Kevin Costner? Oh. (laughs) It does kind of, doesn't it? Kind of. I mean, obviously, Kevin Costner's way hotter. (laughs) <laughs> but, but as far as police sketches go why you gotta bring sketch. up kevin costner now i'm like all distracted you know I all flustered him. yeah and um throwing you off your game all right back together with it so by november 20th which is less than a month after the abduction six minnesota bureau of criminal apprehension and five fbi agents are removed from the case which I mean, there's 20 FBI agents, so there's still 15 on the case at this point. So, okay. Right. And, you know, we've already got three sketches released. Police release another one 10 days after on November 30th. It's like how many sketches? Like now every single person in the city is covered. Yeah. And this one looks like a a mixture of Colin Mockery from Whose Line Is Anyway and Fred Mertz. Like I'm looking at this and going like, I could see that these two had a baby. It'd be this exact guy. Yeah. But this is what investigators released, and they said was a better sketch, which was pretty much all three of the sketches melted together. So, sure. Sure he did. Yeah, so it's like, are you trying to say that all three of the previous sketches were the same guy? Because I thought they were three different guys. Right. But then this sketch is like all three of them sketched together. So it's kind of, it's really confusing and sketches are stupid because they're never right. They always look ridiculous. The only one that was really right was that John List one, huh? That one was scarily accurate. Yeah, but that wasn't a sketch. That was a clay bust. Oh, uh, yeah, I guess we knew what he looked like. Huh. All right. Yeah. All right, man, we'll move on. But that guy was amazing. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. In December of 89, there was a boy named Jared Sherrill, and he was a 12-year-old who was kidnapped and sexually assaulted in January of 89 in Cold Spring, Minnesota, which is right near St. Joseph's. And like we were saying before, this is not a normal thing to happen. So obviously they were like, maybe these could be connected, you know, which is ding, 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 obvious. Yeah. Like they're not far apart. Like, yeah. And it's very similar thing happened. Yeah. I think maybe might be on a lead. So they get with Jared and they create a fifth sketch of the man who assaulted Jared. And this sketch looks nothing like the other four, but it generates hundreds of more tips and leads. And so it seems like they have nothing but tips and leads in this case, but they're not going anywhere. Right. And and tips and leads alone generally don't result in very, very much for anybody. But December 16th, 1989, FBI agents interviewed Danny Heinrich, a resident of Painesville, which is about 30 miles away from St. Joseph's. And they interviewed him in connection to both Jared's assault and Jacob's abduction. He denied any knowledge of the abductions or even knowing Jacob or Jared. Yep. So in January of 1990, the Painesville police chief tells the Wetterling investigators that his town has had a year of these molestation cases, like Jared's case. That Were these not talked about more? It doesn't this wasn't seem out like about? it, which is weird because they're very rare. So you would think- Why would, would be you like, hide something like that? I, the only thing I can think of is shame or respect for the victims because they were so young and they were all boys. They didn't want, you know, mm, Yeah, I don't know. I get I guess I see they, what you're saying. They didn't want that to get out, I guess. I'm I yeah. I haven't really understood why there why it wasn't more public, but there was several incidents of a adult male groping or chasing young boys mm. and all of these were reported to the Painesville law enforcement from like September of 86 through like the following year, but no arrests were ever made. Man, don't you ever wish that like you happen to be in the vicinity when something like this goes down and you can just put the smack down on that dude. And I would lay this dude out <laughs> and just wait for police to come. Well, they haven't his... found a dude yet. But I know, but like there have reports of, of an adult man chasing around kids. Like, wouldn't you right. just love to be like around the area when that was happening and be like, oh, I'm going to I'm going to put a stop to that. Yeah, but that's the thing is they didn't know it wasn't well, public information. I'm not like, saying that. I'm saying Jared as you. A, like, wouldn't you I know, want but, to... But Jared, for a long time, thought he was the only one. He didn't realize there was other victims. He thought he was the only person. And the other victims thought they were the only people. I get... I know. I get that. I, I understand okay. what you're saying. I'm just okay. saying, wouldn't you... If this happened in the vicinity of where you were, like, it would be over very quickly. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I get, I get, yeah, yeah, yeah. We can we can cut all that out. No, I get what you're saying. I just I don't. Mm. I mean, maybe for you, I couldn't beat up a thirty year old man. So, oh, I, I honestly think you could in that situation. Yeah, well, I probably I, could. Yeah, I would but. definitely put my money on you. <clears throat> Sorry, <laughs> I would put my money on you over me in that situation. I think, like, yeah, I think that you would hit a different gear. Well, yeah. Probably. So, all right, well, let's get back to this because we got a long ways to go. January 12, 1990, investigators interview Danny Heinrich again, and 
He provides them with his tennis shoes and samples of body hair. And a few days later, he authorizes investigators to take the rear tires from his blue 1982 Ford EXP hatchback, which sounds super lame. Sounds super lame. And investigators get access to an 87 Mercury Topaz that Danny Heinrich had owned up until March of 89. And they did something I thought was really strange. They had Jared sit in the back of the car and tell them on a scale from 1 to 10 how similar the vehicle was. And Jared says "Eh, it's like an 8 or a 9 in terms of, you know, the closeness to the car that abducted him a year earlier. Yeah, which is like, okay, guys, let's re-traumatize this kid by putting yeah. him back in his abductor's car. I know. It's very weird. But this happened to be on the same day that the Wetterling, the Wetterlings announced plans to establish the Jacob Wetterling Foundation. And the purpose of that foundation was to help educate and assist families to help address and prevent the exploitation of children to these kinds of people. Yeah. So later in January of 1990, investigators search the Painesville home of Heinrich's father because Danny Heinrich lived with his dad since November of 89. So they're looking for Jacob, his clothing, guns, anything that would connect him to Jacob or Jared's assault. And they collect two police scanners, a carrying case, list of scanner frequencies, a pair of boots, and clothing. And during the search, Heinrich told the investigators that he was most likely at home the day of the Wetterling abduction and that he was not in St. Joseph's. So no alibi. He doesn't he doesn't remember really where he was, but he was probably at home. And investigators find a trunk containing photos of kids. One of them was like a kid getting out of the shower with a towel wrapped around him. And the other was of a kid in his underwear. The officers were going to take the photos and Heinrich objected to them taking the photos, which I didn't know you could do during a search, but he did. So the cops left the photos and then later he burned them. So we'll never know who those kids were in those photos. But I I thought that was weird that he could just be like, no, you can't take that. I'm like. Excuse me, isn't this a well, search? No. Heinrich appeared in a police lineup with five other white guys, and Jared is unable to identify any of the people as the person who assaulted him. And fair enough, I mean, yeah, this there's is a lot. Like a year later, well, and there was a lot going on then. You know, like that's there's a lot to take in. His brain was not right. ready for that, and it was like a year later. So. Right, exactly. Heinrich could have had facial hair or not or whatever, but the FBI at the end of January takes six more agents off the case. So now there's nine left on the case. In early February, the FBI tells investigators that a fiber found on Jared's clothing had similar microscopic and optical properties as fibers taken from the mercury that Heinrich had owned in January of 89. So they're really zoning in on Heinrich being the main suspect for Jared, at least Jared's abduction. Yeah, well, it's starting to add up. And this is the infancy of forensics, too. So we're just getting started, but it's already making such a huge impact. And Danny Heinrich was arrested in connection to the Jared Sherrill abduction and sexual assault. And he says, oh, I didn't do it. I wasn't involved. He was later even released without being charged. So so they couldn't nail him down, but they right. know that it was, they know he was involved. Like they, he's their main guy. They're making him sweat. Yeah, big time. Definitely. So 
February 17th, about 200 people gathered to mark what would have been Jacob's 12th birthday and to officially launch the Jacob Wetterling Foundation. Like you said, focuses on the prevention and elimination of stranger abductions of children. And by the launch of the foundation, over $200,000 had already been raised. That's incredible. I mean, yeah, again, like we talked about like how this was such a tragedy, but And this is 1990. Yeah. So $200,000 was a lot of money. I mean, it's a lot of money now, but that was a exactly. lot of money. No doubt. On the anniversary of Jacob's disappearance, about a thousand people gathered to commemorate, I guess, yeah. for lack of a better word, to, yeah. to show support of of Jacob's abduction. Then by January of 91, the sheriff retires. Stearns County Sheriff Charlie Graft retired and Jim Kostreba, Kostreba? Kostreba? Kostreba! Jim Kostreba, for a former deputy, was now leading the Jacob Wetterling investigation. So that's kind of a good thing that it's, you know, coming to the very tippy top. May 24th, U.S. Senator Dave Durenberger proposes a national registry of people who committed sex crimes against kids. And this would be known as the Jacob Wetterling Act. And by September of 91, it was passed by Congress and the Jacob Wetterling Crimes Against Children and Sexually Violent Offender Registration Act and Child Safety Act. That's a mouthful. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, it was part of a larger violent crime bill and it requires any person convicted of a criminal offense against a minor who is convicted of a sexually violent crime to have to register with the police for a minimum of 10 years. Once they get out of prison, parole, probation, all that stuff, they have to sign up. And the law says, but does not require police to inform people within the community that there are people who are on the list living around them. And obviously, you know, that's different now. So later laws made this a requirement, but at this point it's not. It allowed them to do it, but it didn't mandate that they did it. Right. So in 96, the national broadcast system known as the Amber Alerts was created to inform public of cases of potential child abduction, which we talked about in the Amber Hagerman episode that we did last season. And that was a big deal because in 89, when Jacob went missing, there was no Amber Alerts. Right. Exactly. And, and who that knows? I mean, changed things for him. At the very least, I think it could have at least found him sooner. You know, I don't yeah. know that it would have changed his outcome, right. but I think it could have definitely changed things sooner. And yeah, in August of 97, an organization created a computer enhanced photo of what Jacob Wetterling would have looked like when he was 19. And they sent it out to the homes of 73 million Americans to yeah. see if That's anyone crazy. had seen him. Yeah. That's I guess they were, people. It's a whole lot of people, and I guess they were trying to see if maybe he had been sex trafficked or if anybody had seen him, you know, keeping that hope alive, which... Yeah, of course. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. In 2003, John Sanner replaces Jim Kostreba as Stearns County Sheriff, and there's a shift when this happens. Yeah, there is a shift, and in 2004, the Stearns County Sheriff's Department starts looking towards a music teacher named Dan Rassier and he lived in the community and he actually lived at the end of the driveway where they found the tire tracks and he was home alone at the time of Jacob's disappearance. So uh, things aren't, things don't look good. Yeah. So this is in 2004 and in 2010, they're still zoning in on Dan Rassier and 
They search the farm where he still lived with his parents, and they start digging up parts of his farm and publicly declaring that he's a person of interest in Jacob's abduction. And it's like, oh, this is a long time later to be, like, really zoning in on one guy. Yeah, it really is. It really feels like this sheriff is just determined to put somebody behind bars for this, and he's not real concerned with who gets in his path, you know? Yeah. But the sheriff's office three months later says that laboratory tests on material that was taken in July didn't provide any evidence in the Wetterling investigation. But at this point, Dan's Rassier's life was pretty much ruined. When you listen to like conversations with him, like he talks about how he really was negatively affected. He was a teacher, you know, people yeah. wanted nothing to do with him after that. His, his coworkers looked at him weird. And even though he was only ever a person of interest and was later <laughs> found not to be guilty, he, his life was torpedoed. And, oh, yeah, it was horrible. And this sheriff just, like I said, didn't care who got in his way. He was going to put someone behind bars, and he ruined the guy's life in the process. Yep. So by 2012, the Minnesota Bureau of Criminal Apprehension would get DNA off of the wrist of a sweatshirt that was worn by Jared Sherrill when he was abducted in January of 89. And remember, they think that the same abductor abducted jared is the one that abducted jacob so they're pretty confident that now that they have this dna it could lead to something in jacob's case yeah hell yeah and the dna profile ended up being a match that came from danny heinrich in 1990 so their original suspect that they brought in and then had to released and all comes full circle yeah in July of 2015, investigators searched Heinrich's Annandale, Minnesota home, and they were looking for evidence in connection to Jacob and Jared because the DNA matched in Jared's case, but they knew the statute of limitations was up on that. They were really looking for evidence to connect him to Jacob's abduction, and they didn't find anything tying him to either of these crimes, but they did find 19 three-ring binders full of child porn. Ugh, God. Mm -hmm. A pair of silver handcuffs, duct tape, camo pants and shirts, and four bins filled with boys' clothing. So... Oh, my God. He sucks. That's definitely one way to put it, yeah. He he definitely sucks. We'll go with that. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. So they also found numerous videotapes of footage of neighborhood kids delivering newspapers, riding bikes, playing at public playgrounds you know, playing sports at parks. Like, he was just videoing kids. That's just a whole new weirdness that this dude just has what I assume at this point is his phone out, just filming kids in the neighborhood. Like, you know phones are everywhere. You know things are going on, but, like, you never think that that kind of stuff is happening. That's never where your mind goes. Unless you host a true crime podcast, and then it's where your mind goes immediately, and that's pretty sketch, too. (laughs) Yep. So when he starts talking to the investigators, he pretty much knows he's screwed. You know, he's like, I get it. I got child porn. Like, it's pretty damning. He tells them that he downloaded it from the Internet. So he's fucked. I mean, that's you can't mess with that stuff. That's one disgusting and foul and vile. But also, I mean, there is no breaks on child. porn. like if you get caught with that shit, you're going down. Did he admit rightfully so? Yeah, absolutely, rightfully so. Did he admit to videotaping of kids in the neighborhood, or 
That was just what it looked like. I don't know. He admitted that the child porn was his. So yeah, I, that and I, I never knew if those two were connected like that. So yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure about that. Yeah, this went on for over a year of this back and forth. Investigators, they knew he was the guy, and they also knew that they had screwed up from the start. And his attorney kind of played that to his, you know, his client's best interest, and mm-hmm. he worked a deal, and. It's probably the worst deal ever to be done with somebody of this, like, magnitude. Oh, yeah. It's the worst deal in the history of plea deals. Yeah, it's terrible. So if Heinrich agrees to show investigators where he buried Jacob's body, he won't be charged with Jacob's murder, and he won't be charged for Jacob or Jared's abductions. He'll only be charged with the child porn charges. Yeah, which is un fathomable they're literally making a deal with him because they know that he abducted jared they know he's responsible for all the molestations in painesville and they know that he's responsible for jacob's disappearance and they can't get him they literally had to do a deal with the devil oh he he is yeah that's a great way to put it they had to make a deal with the devil to get any kind of something because yeah they had to get resolution i mean it's been 27 years right so in court Heinrich calmly confessed to the abduction and murder of Jacob, and he described in horrific detail how, in October of 1989, he abducted and killed him. Like, horrible detail. Like, he would, he was saying things that Jacob said to him and things he said to Jacob, and, oh, it's just heartbreaking. It really, it's a very heartbreaking thing to listen to and to just know kind of what happened. Heinrich said that he took Jacob handcuffed him in his car and drove near a gravel pit and he assaulted him in the groves of the trees and jacob who had been forced to strip told heinrich he was cold and asked if he could get dressed and go home and at this point heinrich told jacob to turn around so he could use the bathroom and he says he panicked and loaded his revolver with two bullets and shot jacob but jacob didn't go down with the first shot so he shot him a second time And what's really heartbreaking about this is that means the gun was not loaded when he abducted him. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, wow. That was the first thing I thought when he said he loaded his revolver. I'm like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Like, ugh. Yeah, and to make matters worse, uh, Heinrich left Jacob's body there and he went to a construction site and stole a bobcat so that he could dig a hole and put Jacob into into the hole. That's where he buried him. And a year later, he went back and noticed that some of the remains had started to be, like, visible. Like, he obviously didn't bury him well enough. He could see, like, clothing and bones. So he dug him up and moved him to a farm just outside of Painesville, not very far from where he was living at the time, and, like, 30 miles from where Jacob was abducted from, and he reburied him. This. This is bad. Like, this is... Yeah. Th- it It's just getting worse and worse. Yeah. It was already worse and worse. Yep. He also confessed to Jared's assault in court. So he was the same guy. We knew they had the same guy the entire time. Yep. Yep. They just couldn't pin him down. But 27 years after Jacob's abduction, the Wetterlings finally have answers they were looking for. They don't have justice... You know, no, but we do have answers because at least they found Jacob's body and it's not enough. And the punishment certainly didn't fit the crime, but it it, it is what we get. And it's it's still really hard to 
to think about in that kind of in that those kind of terms. But Heinrich, who was 53 at the time of his arrest and 26 when he murdered Jacob, was sentenced to just 20 years in a federal prison for child porn. So the sketches of the men in their 50s, the first were four off. sketches that they released were off by at least 30 years. Yeah. So no wonder people didn't like, you know, clue in on him. It wasn't even close. Yeah, not even the only one that was close was the sketch that they created from Jared's description of the man who abducted him. They were very off. Right. But Heinrich is now serving his sentence at Federal Medical Center Devons in Eyre, Massachusetts, and his release date isn't terribly far away. He's scheduled for release for March 28th, 2033. Yep. Which is not nearly enough time. He'll be in his early 70s. Like, he's yeah. totally going to get out of prison. He, I, he's definitely going to get out of prison. It's going to be met with loads of pushback. Yeah. And, but he's definitely going to, unless something else happens and he stays in there. But, yeah, he's yeah. he's going to get out. Yep. During sentencing, Judge Tunheim said, We won't pretend that this crime and sentence is about child pornography. It is also about changing the lives of so many children and parents who prayed for Jacob's return and also feared you coming out of the dark. Every child knows the story of Jacob Wetterling. You stole the innocence of the children in small towns in the cities of Minnesota and beyond. So, I mean, even the judge at sentencing was like, this is bullshit. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because they knew what the sentence was going to be. I mean, they had come to a plea deal. They knew what it was. And I don't think anybody in that room besides Danny Heinrich was uh, was happy with that outcome. I know. It's gross. I hate the outcome. I'm glad that they found Jacob so that his parents can have, you know, resolution to their, you know, fears and all that stuff. But I hate the outcome of this case. Obviously, I hate that he's dead, but I hate that Danny Heinrich isn't being punished for it or for Jared's assault or for the molestation of any of those other boys. Yeah. Child porn is a serious offense, but not compared to the other ones. You know, I mean, it's. Yeah. Well, and Jared was abducted and sexually assaulted and he knows who did it. And the guy can't be punished because of the statute of limitations. It's like, what? Why is there a statute of limitations on sexual assaults? I don't know. And there shouldn't be. That's definitely one of those things that limitations should be endless for. Yeah. Like murder doesn't have a statute of limitations. Like, I don't know. I understand like theft and jaywalking. You know, you don't want to get caught jaywalking when you're 80 for something you did when you're 20. I get that. But this kind of stuff, um, I'm okay with locking up an 85-year-old guy if we find out he did some pretty shitty things like this in his 20s. Well, we did it at the Golden State Killer. I mean, I don't think he was yeah. quite that old, but he was pretty close. I know. And you know what's funny is he's old and decrepit and stuff, and I have zero sympathy for him. Bill Cosby, too. I know he got out now, but I mean, sorry, dude. You're gross. Yeah, like, it doesn't matter how old you are. You still deserve to pay. Like, I almost think that makes it better. Like, you thinking you got away with it for so long and then be like, nope. I don't know that it makes it better. It's interesting, though. It's a definitely an interesting thing because, I mean, at that point, it's probably so far removed that these guys probably aren't thinking about it anymore. You know, they probably isn't something they do. It doesn't cross their mind, which in and of itself is pretty disgusting and, and sickening that they it's so blasé to them but yeah i would imagine after all those years like you just kind of moved on from it though the people you did it to didn't but you kind of move on and then you know knock at your door and oh yeah you're going to you're going to prison yep for Karma's a your bitch. heinous crimes yep exactly yep 
So there is a lot more to this case that obviously we can't cover in like a reasonable amount of time. But there is a lot more information on this case if you're interested in diving deeper into all the different rabbit holes they went down and the mistakes made by the different sheriff's departments and all that kind of stuff. There is a great podcast called In the Dark that did an entire season on this case. Yeah, In the Dark is both a favorite of mine and Erica's, and they don't just do this case. They do a different case as well, and it's captivating. Like Their stuff is so good. So we really recommend that if you haven't yet, try In the Dark, listen to what they have to say. They do an exceptional job. They're coming out with another season here pretty soon, and honestly, I don't think Erica and I can wait for for that. We're both very excited. Yeah. Yeah, they did... Jacob Wetterling in season one and they did Curtis Flowers in season two and it is a I mean they just they're amazing they really are they they deep dive into the case and they also insert themselves into like the life of that case and they go and they interview people but like live with them almost like they had to go to Mississippi yeah, like for Curtis Flowers two, they literally moved to Mississippi yeah they did so it's yeah crazy. we highly recommend it it's you know was a huge part of why we decided to do Jacob Wetterling. So thank you to anybody in the dark who might be listening. We were very inspired by by your work. Oh, yeah. That's literally in the dark is the reason that Grant came to me and was like, have you heard this podcast? I am obsessed with it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's I, what I mean, kind of was like, that was like years ago when it came out. It was when he started talking to me about wanting to start a podcast. So we highly list- recommend in the dark. It's a great podcast. And I've listened to their deep dives on both of them a couple times because I'm that interested in how well they do it. So, yeah, yeah. we really recommend it. Yep. So if you're interested in hearing a lot more about Jacob Wetterling, go listen in the dark. I think it's like nine episodes or something. It's significant amount of information. Right. But if you're interested in what we're doing, you can go to our Instagram at from crime to crime. You can email us at from crime to crime podcast. We have a TikTok, I think is at from crime to crime. And we have a Twitter at from crime, the number two crime. So, hey, come find us everywhere you get your info. We're there. And Grant is solely responsible for our Twitter. I feel like we need to put an extra disclaimer on that. This is the second week in a row you've said that. like Because I don't know how to use Twitter and I don't know what you're saying to people on there. You're so pretty I concerned want... that I might have some info to, to tell people. No, I'm just concerned that you're going to offend somebody and then they're going to get mad. And then I'm going to have to explain that I have no idea what they're talking about because I don't know how to use Twitter. <laughs> I am the least offensive person that I know. So I don't think I'll inf- insult anybody. Offend, okay. insult, whatever. At least not on purpose. If I do, go to our Instagram at from crime to crime. Send Erica an email <laughs> at from crime to crime podcast no. at gmail.com too. She's Then she'll really rip into me. I just don't like that I don't know how to use Twitter, so I don't know what you're saying. I can show you. I do send you screenshots of everything I say before I send it. Yeah, but do at I know that's At least that's what real? I tell you. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Do I know that's real? Oh, yeah, it's real. Real good. Well, anyway, right. if you want to talk to Grant on Twitter, I guess that's how you do it. That's one way. All right, well. You can tweet me sometime if you want. I don't know how, Grant. We've just gone over this. <laughs> We can set I had a up. Twitter for a long time and it just sat on my phone and I didn't know how to use it. The only thing that it did was when I looked something up, if it was like a link to something on Twitter, then it would open it in the app and then I'd be able to see it. And now that I've deleted the Twitter off my phone, now when I click on a link that's Twitter, I don't have a Twitter. <laughs> you know, I still have Twitter. Obviously, I have Twitter and I don't even follow the links to Twitter. So, yeah, 
All right. Well, if you're as mad about Danny Heinrich's sentence as we are, come tell us about it on Instagram. Tell us how mad you are, because we're pretty mad, too, and we want to talk to you about it. Yep. All right, buddy. All right. I'm going to get going, because we're having a crazy windstorm here in Vegas. We're having a crazy windstorm here, too, but I and I thought it actually might affect the recording, but so far, so good, and we're yeah. ending, so that's it. Perfect. All right. All well, right. I'll call you later. All right. I love you. I love you, too. Bye.